Leviticus 25, 1 through 17, the Sabbath and light. Leviticus 25, 1 through 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meet for you, for thee and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be meet. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, and the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which grows of itself in it, nor gather the grapes of it, of the, uh, in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee ye shall return every man unto his possession. And if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee thou shalt buy of thy neighbor, and according unto the number of years of the fruits he shall sell unto thee. According to the multitude of years thou shalt increase the price thereof, and according to the fewness of years thou shalt diminish the price of it. For according to the number of the years of the fruits doth he sell unto thee. Ye shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> The death penalties that are associated in the Old Testament with respect to the Sabbath convey two very obvious assumptions. First, the Sabbath laws obviously involve a principle so important, so basic, that violation was regarded as a capital offense. And while the punishment of death by civil law is removed, it is still, in some sense, a capital offense. 
This means, second, that the law conveys to us the fact that violation is a kind of death in and of itself. And similarly, obedience is a kind of guarantee of life. Now, before we analyze the significance of the Sabbath law, it is important for us to realize that one of our problems is that familiarity often leads to ignorance. A thing becomes so routine with us that we lose the meaning of it. This was borne home to me some years ago when a friend who had been a doctor, a missionary doctor in China for 50 years, Dr. Dobson, a man of a most distinguished family whose sister taught at one of the major medical schools in this country and was himself uh, a man of most remarkable character, was telling me of his practice on the mission field. And he said, we had mail once a year. And he said, my wife and daughter and two sons and I were the only non-Chinese for hundreds of miles around. And he said, as a result, very often before the end of the year, and sometimes long, long before the end of the year, if there were serious problems, I had exhausted all the medicine I had. So he said, I had to do with common, everyday kitchen materials. And so uh, I raised the question, well, what did you do for a disinfectant? He said, oh, something out of the kitchen. I couldn't guess what it was. I guessed salt, which, of course, he said was wrong. It would cause serious damage. He said, I packed any wound or infection or any uh, surgery that I had done with sugar. And he said, now, any woman who makes jelly knows that if that jelly or jam has a high sugar content, she doesn't have to worry about sealing the jar. The sugar will preserve it. But if it is canned peaches and the sugar content is not sufficiently high there, she has to seal that carefully. But she said, he said, this has become so routine with us, we've lost the meaning of what we're doing. And so it is. We observe many things like the Sabbath. We've lost the meaning of it. It's become routine and the meaning is gone and so little by little the observance goes because we don't understand the principle behind it. And so when we approach it, we approach it ignorantly without realizing what it's all about. You have to know the meaning to understand anything that you observe or see or practice. For cite another little illustration. When I was in school, I was taught that when a Roman general returned to Rome and he was given a triumphal march into the city, a slave always ran before him 
beside his chariot, repeating, Remember that you are a man. Now the teachers who cited this to me in Latin class and elsewhere said this was an example of the humility that was to be expected of the general at this point. They were looking at the whole episode from a Christian perspective. Recently, as I was studying an analysis of Roman art by Heinz Koller, I was interested in his comment. He pointed out that this statement by the slave, remember, you are a man, meant that he was a god. That's a startling fact. But you see, the Roman definition of a man was different from the Christian definition. And we read that or listen when a teacher tells it to us in Latin class, and we read it in terms of a Christian meaning of what constitutes a man, and it's a statement of humility. But from the Roman perspective, you are now a man. That is, you are joining the ranks of those who are God. Up until now you are subhuman, but now you are a man, you are with a God. Now, as we analyze the Sabbath, let us see it, not in terms of what the world today sees it as or what ministers today may see it as, but in terms of Scripture. Jesus Christ declared that Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. But it's not man who is the Lord of the Sabbath, but the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the redeemed man, the second Adam, the fountainhead of the new humanity, is Lord of the Sabbath. And therefore, the Sabbath was made for the perfect man, Jesus Christ, and for the redeemed of Christ, for us, as a principle of life and regeneration in him. Now with that, let us turn to the law itself. First, as we have seen last week, the primary meaning of the Sabbath is rest, not worship. Only that worship which is a rest and refreshing to man is a part of the true Sabbath rest. But second, we cannot view the Sabbath exclusively in terms of man although it is centrally concerned with man. We must approach the Sabbath from the standpoint of the whole earth as the scripture does. Now the commandment makes it clear that it affects man and beast alike and the vines and the trees of the field and the earth. The scripture which we read dealt with the Sabbath years and with the Jubilee years. Every seventh year, the land was to enjoy a rest. There was to be no pruning, no planting, no harvesting. 
if the land was to go to weed. Anyone could go into the field, including a passerby, and pick of the fruit and eat of it. But they could not carry any away. In other words, they could not harvest it. It was free there for anyone to eat and for the birds of the field. And what fell was to lie there. They were not to do anything to kill the animals of the field at that time either. The gophers or the snakes or the insects. Now, after seven sevens of years, a sabbatical year every seventh year, the 49th year then would be a sabbatical year, the 50th year was also to be a sabbatical year, but it was called the Jubilee. And that year, the Day of Atonement, the ram's horn or trumpet was to be sounded. He shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. The words that are inscribed on the liberty bell. And when they were inscribed there, they knew what it meant. Thus, the 49th and 50th year of each century, or the 99th and 100th year, were a double sabbatical year. Now, one thing you can see obviously when you weren't going to harvest your year, your sabbatical year, and you had two years in a row when you did not, one thing that was required of all the people was providence. They weren't living up to the hilt on their income. That's a very plain, simple, ordinary fact. It did require a provident people. But the purpose of these laws is not humanitarian. Or is it simply to teach providence? The purpose of the Sabbath is the Sabbath. That is, a rest and release, a redemption and a regeneration. Now, the supreme Sabbath was the Jubilee year. It was begun, as we have noted, on the Day of Atonement by the sounding of the ram's horn or trumpet. Even as God annulled their sins, this was what the Day of Atonement was about, and forgave their debt. They were to forgive all death and to give the soil a rest and rest themselves together with all their households and all their livestock. The goal of the Sabbath, according to Hebrews, the third chapter, is the promised land, the new creation in Jesus Christ the restoration and the restitution of all things. As a result, all deaths ran out on the seventh year. They were canceled. Deaths were to be contracted on a six-year basis. In other words, you couldn't have a 10-year or a 15- or a 30-year mortgage. You were supposed to have a six-year mortgage. 
or if you've contracted it halfway between that time from one sabbatical year to the next, it was to be three and a half year mortgage. A modern statute of limitation on debt, debt, by the way, is an adaptation of this principle. And that year also slaves were freed, and the land reverted to its original owners so that land was leased only from one sabbatical year to the next, or from one jubilee year to the next. Man anticipated in the Sabbath years and in the jubilee the final victory and the restored earth, the new creation. Now this great work of restoration of restitution, of undoing the fall, included by the law of God, the soil also. The soil was to be restored, to be revitalized. Everything was to be allowed to go to weed, to revert to the soil, to be unpruned. Now, in recent years, soil scientists notably at the University of Missouri and one or two other institutions, have done remarkable work here. And they have learned that soil requires weeds. Weeds penetrate deep down into the subsoil. And they bring up minerals and they bring up water so that things thrive better when some weeds are allowed to grow. And when the land is allowed to revert to weeds, the soil is revitalized because the weeds bring up these things. And when the weeds the next year are plowed under, it adds to the topsoil. I heard recently of an interesting episode that happened here in Southern California when a man whose orange grove was becoming progressively worse and who had decided it was not fit to keep up, it was unproductive, let it go to weed and it sat there for a year. There was nothing done to it. And it revitalized the orchard. There is, of course, an extensive body of literature here that tells us the value of this, of allowing the land to lie fallow. And Sir Albert Howard, one of the greatest of soil scientists, Dr. William A. Albrecht and Joseph Kokenauer and others have gone into this at great length and confirmed the validity of the Sabbath principle. We do know how many areas have reverted to desert or have been converted into desert by the systematic exploitation of the soil by man. Babylon was once one of the most fertile areas in the world, a land flowing with waters, and now it is desert. The Sahara was once, although we find this difficult now to understand, orchard and farm country. 
True, the weather changed somewhat, but the real damage was done by an abuse of the earth. Long after the weather changed, many areas were still rich and fertile. And there are many areas of the Sahara that have a what a rainfall equal to parts of the Midwest, some of our richest grain countries. The scripture tells us that Judah went into captivity because they failed to keep God's law with respect to the land. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. This means from the last days of Solomon or after Solomon to the captivity, no sabbatical year was kept. And so they kept 70 years Sabbath unto the land by being taken into captivity. This in terms of the word of the Lord in Leviticus 26, 34, Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. And again in Leviticus 26, 43, If they violated this law, the land also shall be left of them, and shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because even because they despise my judgment, and because their soil, the soul, abhorred my statutes. But this seventy-year-long Sabbath of the land was God's mercy. It restored the earth there in the promised land to give Israel another chance. But after they rejected Christ, judgment came and the desolation of the land. Palestine is not the same country now. No longer a beautifully wooded country. Only a handful of the cedars of Lebanon remain. No longer a land of springs and streams, but only dry, eroded land. Clearly, the renewal of the earth is a basic concept of the Sabbath, as is the renewal of all things. To ignore this is to court judgment and death. The death penalty is operative here very clearly. Just as money cannot be taken out of the bank endlessly, neither can the earth be exploited endlessly, nor can a man work without food or rest. The Sabbath has a purpose then. And it still has a capital punishment attached to it. Men who will have no Sabbath are doomed to die prematurely. But unhappily in our day and age, men believe that pills are a substitute for the rules of health. 
and that science somehow will figure out an answer to every contempt they express for good common sense living. A man I knew and liked, a very, very kindly and likable person, killed himself literally because when he developed ulcers and they became very serious, he continued drinking. And he literally bled to death. And he was amazed when he was dying. He was sure that somehow a doctor could provide a pill which could counteract everything he was doing. After all, what was medicine and science for? And today, of course, we are putting our confidence in some kind of gimmick and we are destroying the earth and we are destroying animals. Modern poultry methods produce nervous chickens. They only last a season, you know, and then they are sold off. And it's no wonder their eggs have a high cholesterol content. The chickens do. They're nervous chickens. They're kept awake 24 hours a day with continual lighting so they will step up laying and they're burnt out after a season. And there is the same kind of stepped up pace with dairy cows so that instead of lasting 17, 18, 19 years as they did when I was a boy, three years and they're through. Dr. Hans Selye, one of the great medical researchers, has written an important volume on the stress of life. A man has only the capacity to take so much stress and he is dead. And most of the stress, he said, comes from within. Because a man has no rest within, no Sabbath principle in his life. No Christ. Man needs rest. He requires the Sabbath to live. But without faith he cannot truly rest or give rest to others, to the soil, or to animals. The essence of the Sabbath is the restoration, the renewal of all things. And Christ is first and foremost our Sabbath. And then in him, man is required to rest and give the rest to the earth and to all things. But having said this, we must note that the Sabbath is a Sabbath unto the Lord. It is a covenant sign according to Ezekiel 20 verses 10 to 13. The source of life is God, is Christ, not the law or the Sabbath in and of itself. It is not merely inactivity. As Selye, Dr. Selye has said, the rest 
comes from within or is no rest. It is resting in the Lord. Oh, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And he will give thee the desires of thine heart. The Pharisees reduced the Sabbath rest to physical inactivity and therefore they indulged in endless debate as to whether they could eat an egg or not because after all, maybe the hen had violated the Sabbath laboring over that egg the previous Sabbath. But we must also say finally that forgiveness is a basic aspect of the Sabbath. Essential to it. Remember that the horn of the Jubilee, the trumpet of the Jubilee, sounded on the evening of the Day of Atonement. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and unto all the inhabitants thereof. Liberty from the burden of sin and guilt. Atonement had been made. Liberty in the rest in the Lord. The Lord's Prayer looks forward to the great Sabbath. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And it has, therefore, the great jubilee petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The word trespasses, which is often used here, is a good translation in that it calls attention to the forgiveness of sins. But the word debt, perhaps, is even better, although I like the use of both, because it calls attention to the jubilee aspect. And we have this clearly stated in Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 6, which in the Berkeley version read, at the end of every seven years there must be a canceling of debts, and this shall be the way of canceling. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he made to his neighbor or to his brother. He shall make no demand for repayment, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. A foreigner you may press for payment, he doesn't believe in the Sabbath. He's not a believer in the principle of forgiveness. But whatever of yours was due from a brother, you shall cancel. However, there should be no poor among you. For the Lord your God will bless abundantly bless you in the land he will give you to possess as an heritage. If you listen to the Lord your God, and rightly observe all these commandments which today I am enjoining upon you. When the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you, then ye shall lend to many nations, but not borrow. Ye shall borrow a rule many nations, but they shall not rule over you. When God's law is obeyed, God declares you will have a debt-free, poverty-free society and that this is possible only in terms of him. A prominent 
writer on law has said concerning these laws, and I quote, Modern statutes of limitation and bankruptcy acts fulfill the purpose of the ancient law of sabbatical release. The former by forbidding the bringing of an action upon a debt after a certain number of years, and the latter enabling a debtor to turn over its property in satisfaction of his debt. End of quote. And this particular writer goes on at great length to tell us how much these laws of the Sabbath have embedded themselves deeply in our American law. But they are meaningless today, and they are abused because the heart is gone. Jesus Christ. The meaning of the Sabbath is not there. The Sabbath confers life, but to those alien to God, neither the Sabbath nor its release can have true meaning. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank thee that there is a rest unto the people of God, unto thy people. And we thank thee that in Jesus Christ we have entered into thy rest. And we pray, our Father, that in obedience to thy word, we may extend the sway of that rest unto the earth itself, unto every living creature, and may bring the peace of Christ unto men and nations, unto the end that the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Bless us to this purpose we beseech thee. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Are there any questions now on our lesson? Yes. I couldn't quite hear. Yes. The sabbatical leave of professors and teachers is derived from the Sabbath principle. In the United States, the remnants of the sabbatical principle are very extensive, but the meaning is gone. It was once a very fundamental aspect here, and as I said, uh, the Liberty Bell embodies the whole principle of the Sabbath. It was the intention of the founders of this country to make this a land of the Sabbath. Yes. I'll come to the Women's Sabbath uh, <laughs> one of these Sundays very soon, so let's let that ride. Yes.
Santa. These deaths that are to be forgiven are deaths among fellow believers. Deaths to those who have no regard for the Sabbath principle are not remitted. But loans are to be made on this recognition, and at the expiration they are canceled. Now the assumption is that such people will, under normal circumstances, repay it, but if there is a problem and they cannot repay it, it's canceled. And you are to make the loan with that fully in mind. This doesn't mean you are required to make it, but you make it in this print, in terms of this knowledge. Yes. But if you were a Christian, you would pay the debt anyway, even though it Not necessarily. No. I know of instances where uh, Christians have made loans to other Christians who have said after a period of time when a portion of it has been paid and the person is still in a problem and cannot pay, forget about it. Someday you're going to be able to uh, lend to somebody else and then pass it on to them, help somebody else out. I've, I have known a number of cases where this has been done. Yes. Yes. Now, the scripture that I read in Deuteronomy said that if we fully kept the law, we would be poverty-free and debt-free. Now, the principle of scripture is that basically we are to owe no man anything save to love one another. Now, debts, therefore, in scripture are seen only as emergency measures. This is fully recognized by the law. They are to be emergency loans, not a way of life. And debt living today is a way of life. And this is entirely anti-biblical. And this is, of course, I must add, something fairly new, because until after World War I, the only things that were bought on time were houses and farm or ranch land. And even then, you bought something with a very sizable down payment. You paid a fourth to a half when you purchased it, and you paid off the balance in a few years, a very short span of time. Only after World War I did the whole principle of charge accounts, installment buying, the never-never plan, as they call it in England, become increasingly commonplace, and after World War II, it really took hold. And this, of course, is why you've had the serious economic crises since World War II. This is an important aspect of it. Yes. Well, uh, in farming areas, I know a farm that 
On a limited scale, this was true. In some areas, uh, the merchant would carry the farmer to harvest. Now, there were a few limited areas. Uh, California was one of them. This is uh, a special situation in California. It goes back to all the land problems that the farmers had. They bought the land from Southern Pacific, and there was a lot of shenanigans in the whole thing. They lost their shirts, many of them, because the titles were not uh, proper. And farming got off to a very sorry start here economically in California and one or two other places locally. But this was not the general rule. But they, they had a, a difficult time here. It's a sad story, and uh, sometimes a dramatic one. Those of you who are familiar with the whole story of the Sontag brothers uh, and the great train robbery in central California, the whole purpose of that by the Sontag brothers, some German farmers, was to bring national attention to the scandals connected with uh, uh, the farmers in this area. Yes. Yes and no. Uh, it was started out on so many peculiar uh, bases. First of all, it started out really as a gold rush state. A great many socialistic groups came here and settled like the Kawea colony and the Sequoia area. Then a great many very fine farmers migrated here and were exploited. Uh, it has a very curious history, a very dramatic and a very curious one, yes. normal method, this is contrary to the kind of thing you get in books, but the normal method of farmers moving westward and settling was that they went with two years' capital. In other words, they were not going to be able to live off the land for two years. So they went out there, they put, which meant that they went out with a sizable amount of savings. The idea you get from the movies and the storybooks that these people... Uh, just picked up with nothing but their horse and a gun and went out west is nonsense. They went out with two years' capital, so they were a hard-working, thrifty group of people who had saved up. If they were foreigners, they came over to this country with their wife's dowry and gold, and they went out and lived off it or bought the land with a portion of it and worked hard for two years before they figured they were going to have income from the land. So it took capital, but the capital of the 
farmers in California was wiped out by a number of things, so they really had a, a difficult history of it. Yes, uh, your question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now the question there is the interpretation. Uh, did he mean the poor all your lifetime you're going to have with you, but me you will not always have with you, you see? Or did he mean to the end of time? Now, God says the poor can be abolished from a land that is faithful to him if they keep his law. And we do know that during the period of their law-keeping, there was virtually nothing that you could call poverty in Israel when they kept the law, because the Hebrew word lacked some of... They never even developed the words for creditor, for example. And when it came in, it came in from the Babylonian, because it wasn't a problem. So... It is possible for a land to be without the poor. And colonial America was a land without anyone poor. And early America was too, because they moved in terms of fundamental biblical law. It was a rare man in early America who didn't own land and a home and was able to provide for himself. The few who didn't were immigrants who had newly come over and they very quickly earned it and bought it. Yes. The point, of course, uh, is anxiety. In other words, we are to do our duty in terms of the word of God, to obey God's word, and then leave the rest to him. So you see what he is saying, those of you who are walking faithfully in terms of my word, of course something could happen tomorrow, a tornado, or uh, an earthquake, or a sudden accident, but obey my word. And then don't be anxious. Commit yourself into the Lord's hands. Our time is just about up, and there are a couple of things I'd like to read to you. First of all, from Pastor Richard Wormbrand's letter of October the 1st, 1968. You know, of course, who Dr. Wormbrand is, the minister from Romania who was tortured in a communist prison and is now working here and in Europe to further the underground work in church. I'll just read a few passages. We have been heavily attacked in the press. The main charge, and also by churchmen, he could add, the main charge brought against us is that we mix religion with politics. My answer is simple. He who separates religion from politics knows neither religion nor politics. Then he goes on to comment about the peace talks in Europe. Nobody knows Mr. Harriman, the head of the American delegation on the Paris conference, better than the Romanians. 
he led the talks in Russia about Romania too. Naively, he believed the communists in 1947 and gave assurances to our King Michael I that America guarantees the non-intervention of Russia in the internal affairs of Romania. Afterwards, of course, the Russians imposed upon us a communist regime. Before communists can be believed, they must first be converted to Christ. This the underground church tries to do with our help. As for us, we do wish to win the communists for Christ. To do this, we have to oppose communism and its collaborators. Then, as he speaks of the torture and savage persecution of the communist, of the Christians by communists and the death sentences, he goes on to say, if you don't believe emigrants from communist countries, Eugene Carson Blake, when I spoke to him about communist cruelties, said he cannot rely on what refugees say. Listen to what a communist newspaper says about the treatment of Christian prisoners. Kulturi Zivot, a Czech communist newspaper, wrote on May 31, 1968, in the short respite of relatives, liberty under Dubček. Quote, the church as a whole has been in prison since 1950. Her press resembles letters from a jail. In prison, guards fired from the observation towers into prison cells. Dogs without muzzles were let into the prison hospital. The inmates were beaten on their heads with horse whips and sprayed with water from hoses, and the investigator yelled, Do you desire human rights? We do not recognize any humanitarianism. Many of the inmates suffered severe internal injuries. Some, for, for example, Hermanovsky, a very young man, became insane from the torture. In one of the transports was also the 75-year-old Bishop Vojtasak. They stripped him naked and he had to stand for several hours on the stone floor. And when he could not continue the squatting exercises, they yelled at him, Squat until you spit your soul, you blank. Brother Blake, will you at least believe the communists when they speak about the communist torture? How was it that at that time you sponsored the tours around America of the Czech professor Romadka, who assured everyone that in Czechoslovakia there is full religious liberty? The taking away of children from Christian parents in Russia continues. The last case to come to our attention is reported in a Moscow magazine for April 1968. The reporter describes his conversation with one of the children. Do you look at books with pictures? The child answers, yes. To books in which there are pictures of how our God suffered. He suffered for men, for you, men. When the reporter offered her a book, she refused, saying it is written by godless men. Your shoes have also been made by atheists, and yet you wear them. Then take them. I will walk barefoot like my God. You feel cold, and it is unpleasant to walk barefoot. It may be, but my God suffered and taught us to suffer. She and her sister were taken away from their parents because of their deep religious convictions. There is news about other arrests in Cuba and Bulgaria. What is most saddening to us 
is that you find youth in the West, in colleges, justifying these cruelties. I have just come from a meeting in which a Maoist, contradicting me, justified violence. I asked him, you approve of violence? He who had many comrades with him answered wholeheartedly, I consider violence as good. I slapped him, tore down his Mao bag and said, here, you have what you consider good. He remained speechless. After this, he listened quietly. Revolutionists, you can only impress by revolutionary methods. Now, something in a slightly different vein in these days when we have as much as we do on campuses and when we turn to the paper and we read about violence every day. Uh, this was a little happier note. Some enterprising California entrepreneur could make a fortune by going to Palermo, Sicily and interviewing Giacomo Leone and Providenza Catagironi to find out what makes them tick. When Giacomo failed to win the hand of Providenza with tenderness and gallant phrases, he broke down her door and wound up in jail after neighbors pried her loose from his embrace. So what's unusual? Merely that Giacomo is 80 and his girlfriend a provocative 70. <laughs> and with that, we are adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>